The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning. Uh, I want to say this to begin with. Welcome in the name of Jesus. May His grace and His peace be upon you this morning. I also want to say this. I I failed the last time I, I preached our first Sunday back to say thank you. Uh, Thank you, as many of you uh, know, my wife Kim, who's a nurse, spent six weeks in New York City at the height of the pandemic. And uh, many of you followed uh, what she was doing. You prayed for her. You brought me and my family meals, which I can't tell you how important that was for... uh, a, a bachelor dad of three kids and teenagers. And so um, Kim has been back now for four weeks. Is that right? So I just want to say, one, Kim, stand up. Welcome, welcome home. I know many of you have seen her. And uh, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of our heart for your prayers. Uh, She literally, it took, I think, eight to ten minutes to gown up, right, and to go and and serve and care for those with coronavirus. And so your protection, your prayers of protection and God's mercy were felt, and they were, um, well, for Kim, they worked. She's healthy. She's good, and we're, we're grateful to have her back. And we might in the, in the future arrange a time where she can share some of her stories. I'm sure some of you might be interested to hear uh, what life was like in New York City during that time and to also hear about what God was doing during that time. Well, speaking of pandemics, you would almost forget these days that uh, we are in the midst of a pandemic. Except that you come to church and I see the pews are, you know, rearranged and people have masks on. And that reminds you that we are still in this pandemic. But it's almost easy to forget these days if you're paying attention to what's going on in the news. With uh, the scenes of... um, Police brutality, scenes of protests, of looting. And I want to say this. uh, I appreciate Kelsey's words during communion. And I want to take a little bit of time to remind us of our vocation as Christians. In particular, our vocations here when we gather to worship. Okay? When we gather here, We are for sure coming as individuals with lots on our plates, with lots of burdens, with our own sin, with our own life. But if we are only coming here on behalf of ourselves and for ourselves, all we are is just a vendor of religious goods and services. That is all we are. In fact, our vocation and our missional task is not only for you to come on behalf of yourself and offer praise and honor to God and thanksgiving, to lament and to confess, to 
share and to be faithful in this moment. But you come, you and I, we come on behalf of the world to worship. That is our missional vocation. When you come here this morning, you come on behalf of the world. It is our priestly vocation. What priests do is, one, they represent or they offer, we go from God to the world and off. And, and are the hands and feet of God and Jesus in the world in a very humble way. But we are also, as priests, we are participants in creation. And so we come on behalf of creation. Remember what Jesus says? If they don't speak, if they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. Something or someone will speak on behalf of creation to God. And so even as we think about what is going on in our world, and it's a confusing time, even if we don't feel like that's part of our life right now, or we don't even feel culpable in what's going on in the world, as God's people, it is our call as members of God's creation to come on behalf of creation and do for creation what creation refuses to do. Because God reigns. In fact, it is what it means to follow Jesus. This is precisely what Jesus does for us. He comes into the world as priest on behalf of God to us, but then he also takes on humanity and takes on creation and he represents us back to God, and even though he's not involved in sin or culpable of it, he takes it upon himself, and he says, Father, and he confesses, and he says, forgive them. And he offers himself with the weight of the world on his shoulders, and does for the world, does for you and for me what we weren't willing to do. That is our missional calling. And as we look at the book of Proverbs, <laughs> wisdom is what we need. In times like this, we are desperate for wisdom. From the book of Proverbs, wisdom is life-producing. So in these times, disease is bringing death to the vulnerable and the poor suffer from all the economic turmoil that's going on and so we need wisdom to know what to do in a pandemic I mean I don't know about you but it seems that my feeling is no one really has a good grasp of what's going on and so it's left to each business owner or each family or each to figure out what should we do right now? And it's really confusing. I'm gonna confess, if you're confused, I'm confused. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? What do I do? Do I go out? Do I not go out? What do I do? And so we need wisdom of how to protect those who are most vulnerable to disease and those who are most vulnerable to the economics that are going on. We need wisdom. We need wisdom 
in the social upheavals today. Because wisdom is life producing. And let me just be really, really honest. Knees on necks do not produce life. Racism does not produce life for our community, for any community. Looting does not produce life. Violence does not produce life. And in the book of Proverbs, it talks about violence. But violence is only referenced in, in, as a vice of those who are foolish. Violence is never a virtue of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And so we need wisdom. Wisdom how to walk with others. Wisdom about justice. Wisdom about reconciliation. Wisdom for life. Before we get into our text this morning in Proverbs 2, let's begin with prayer. Father, as always, we come to you in humility, ready to receive your word. Because your word, even if we don't feel that way or, or always recognize this, but it is true that life comes from your word. You spoke life into existence through your word. And so we come trusting that your word will produce life in all of us. So we come humbly and we ask for ears to hear. We ask for hearts to follow. We ask for lives that will obey. And God, I ask for your gift of preaching that your word may be proclaimed faithfully today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible or your smart device, you want to look up on the screen, we're in Proverbs chapter 2. And we're going to read the first five verses and we're going to go through through, uh, Proverbs chapter 2 together. So Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 says... My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The first thing in chapter 2 that the wise sages of God's people say to you and I is that we are to seek wisdom. In fact, he compares this to going after silver or a great treasure. And these, really, you find echoes of this in Jesus. You, you probably, if remember some of Jesus' parables, right? He says that the kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure. That when a man or a woman goes and finds that hidden treasure, he leaves it there and he goes and sells everything he has in order to go buy that piece of land. Or that the kingdom of God is like the pearl of great price. That the one looking for that great pearl will go all the way to the full extent selling everything in pursuit of that great pearl. He says that should be your disposition to wisdom is to seek it this is what you should want is wisdom 
In fact, it may be like I, I get the image in my mind when he says it's like one that seeks after silver or treasure. You see, I've never been inside the New York Stock Exchange, but I see those pictures where you see those day traders, right? And they're frantically going around, and maybe this is back before they had computers, that they're waving their, right? And they're doing their numbers, and they're trying to work, and you see them, they're just exhausted, and they're sweating. And I've heard stories that they go home, and they research, and they research for the next day, which stock, which one is going to make me wealthy? And they devote themselves to seeking treasure. I'm a big fan of sports, and while there was no sports going on, the biggest phenomenon in sports was the documentary about the Chicago Bulls, The Last Dance. I don't know if any of you saw it, but this is highlighting Michael Jordan's career and his very last season with the Chicago Bulls when they were trying to win their sixth NBA title. And what struck me, whether you're a sports fan or not, what struck me was his pursuit of a championship. He wanted it. So much so that he talked about after they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Detroit Pistons and didn't have a chance to go on to the NBA Finals, his trainer, his physical trainer, actually said usually after the season's over, he takes a few weeks off, but he said in the locker room after they lost that game, he said, hey, I'm around, just give me a call whenever you're ready. And he goes, I'll see you tomorrow morning. I said, wow. And he said he went to work because of that desire and his pursuit. He wanted it so bad. I have a good friend named Mark Moore. Mark Moore, I remember him telling me this story probably some 20 years ago. I've known him for a long time. And Mark Moore was a young man. He's about 10 years older than me, but he was a young man at that time. And he was in good health. But he knew he needed to run because there was heart disease in his family. And he would get up every morning and run, but he didn't like it, but he knew he needed to do it. You know that feeling, right? You know you need to do it, but you hate it. But he knew this wasn't just a fad that he needed to do. This wasn't a New Year's resolution. His heart later in life depended on him being able to exercise. And so... What he said was, as he got up in the morning, he started running, he would start to pray. Not just for strength to keep running, but he goes, God, I want to desire this. Just, I want to desire, not just that I need to run, but I want to desire to go out and run. So God, give me the desire, just to have the desire, just to have the desire to get up every morning and run. And then it occurred to him one morning as he was thinking about this, that he was praying about a desire to run, which was important for his life. And as he running, as he ran, he began changing his prayer. He said, God, give me the desire to have the desire to just have the desire to, with all my being, desire to want to follow you. The writer of, of Proverbs not only says, not only do you need wisdom, but deep within you to develop a desire to have the desire just to have the desire.
to go after and seek wisdom. And he says, as your desire for wisdom grows and you continue to seek wisdom, the writer says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge, find the knowledge of God. He goes on in verse 6. He says this, chapter 2. He said, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. The writer of this proverb, the sage in all his wisdom, says this. Not only seek wisdom, but that the Lord gives wisdom. And he gives it from his mouth, he says. Now, my first thought when I read this is like, yes, this is the commands of God. Now, we have a tricky relationship with the commands of God in the Old Testament, but, but in, other, in other ways, the, the commands of God, the, the psalmist writes, they're more precious than gold. They're sweeter than honey. They're life-producing. And this is true, that the commands of God are wise and life-producing. But in the book of Proverbs, this is not so much necessarily connected to the very law or the actual words of God, although it can be. But what the, what, what the sages are doing is that they're looking at creation and going, how has God created the world to be? And how do I go with the grain? How do I go with the way that God has created the world so that life is produced. And so these Proverbs are maybe, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs may be the closest to science as we know it in all of Scripture. So if you're a scientist, you may like the book of Proverbs. There's always clear right and wrong. There's not much gray in the book of Proverbs. There's the righteous and there's the wicked. There's the wise and there's the foolish. But, what he's talking about here is that when the wisdom, that God gives wisdom from his mouth. Think more of creation. Remember at the beginning of creation? In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and the world comes. So the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth and we see this wisdom manifested all around in the world. And how creation is and works. And so wisdom that is from the Lord is not so much this miraculous imparting of wisdom, although I believe God does that and I pray for that. But the wisdom that Proverbs is talking about is from God and is a gift of God that is this slow process of lived experience. Not of some miraculous, miraculous gifting. So when you think of God's gift of wisdom, it is the long, hard work of experience. We know this to be true. I'll use Phil as an example. Phil just retired from ODOT recently. How many years were you with ODOT? I meant to ask you this earlier, Phil. 32 years. 
That's some experience. I imagine if you ask Phil about building a bridge, about budgets and the physics and the engineering, even about the politics of it, although he probably wasn't involved in that directly, but do you have experience with all that, Phil? Unfortunately, he's like, yes. I would imagine that Phil's got some wisdom in that. I don't imagine. I know he does. And it took 32 years, and it wasn't just easy experience. For those in our congregation that have been married for a long time, we say this all, all the time about marriage, right? Who has wisdom in marriage? Those that are newly married? I thought I knew a lot. But you go to older people with gray hair or no hair, maybe. Right, Rick? Solidarity. 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 It's the long, hard experience of learning what it means to be married and gaining wisdom. You say that about raising kids long hard work so young people I know you hear this old people seem lame I know I'm looking at all the young this is where the young people use this I'll just look over here right old, old people seem lame and that's okay but every once in a while those who have ears hear they've had some experiences that might save you some real heartache and that might just produce life if you listen so if we want to be a wise people if we want to be a church that is wise then we not only need to listen but we need to go and experience that. So if you want to be a wise and caring, that you need to practice caring, and you need to listen to the needs of others. If you want to be wise in service to your neighbor and your community, then you need to listen to your community and practice. When I was a missionary, just because I wanted to do it and I went to do it doesn't mean everything that I did in service in the name of Jesus was wise. It was not. I had to learn the hard way. And by the way, it took me three years before I just began to understand what was really going on around me. Wisdom takes time. And finally, let me say this. If we want to be wise in terms of justice for our society, and in terms of racial reconciliation, it doesn't just come through statements that we make about that. I can stand up here and make statement after statement after statement. If we want to be wise about justice and reconciliation in our community, whether we are involved in it or, or feel it or whatever, if we want to be wise people, we need to have intentional experiences 
and listen to those who are on the, on the bottom side of justice. If we want to have real racial reconciliation, it's not just me standing up and saying it. Because I can just say it and say it and say it. Real wisdom comes from the long, hard work of breaking bread and sitting across the table and listening and seeking to understand. Then you will know. Some Proverbs says 9 through 11. It says, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and fairness and every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to you and to your soul and discretion will protect you and understanding will guide you. Finally, beginning of verse 20. I'm sorry, beginning of verse 12, says this. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in wrongdoing and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left her partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Proverbs talks a lot about women. And I have to confess, some of us aren't bothered by the language, but it sounds odd to our modern ears. Remember this, though. In the context of Proverbs, this is written to young men. And oftentimes, Proverbs personifies uh, wisdom or, in fact, uh, foolishness in terms of wicked men or an adulterous woman. And for sure it says plainly and in fact that adultery is not wise. Sexual misconduct is not wise. And I would guess that after some time, those who have experienced betrayal, sexual betrayal in a relationship, would say, yes, that, is, that was not good. It was not life-producing. But in the book of Proverbs, it says this, that wisdom, we go back one slide, wisdom will save you. And I want you to note that he uses two. He uses wicked men and he uses the adulterous woman. And those two are used as for foolishness. Now, mind you, when it talks about wisdom, Proverbs only talks about wisdom as a female. It never talks about wisdom in male terms. But I want you to see, we go to the next slide, that these two parallel each other. You have wicked men and you have the adulterous woman. So notice that wicked men and their perverse words and adulterous women have seductive words. That uh, wicked men, they have left the straight path and left her spouse. 
They walk in darkness and ignore the covenants made. They delight in doing wrong and their ways lead to death. They rejoice in evil paths and it leads to the dead. Their paths are crooked and with her there is no return. They are devious in their ways and you cannot contain, attain life. It actually mirrors these two descriptions. It says this is what a foolish life looks like. This is what a non-wisdom looks like. And on the men's side, it's more of this legal and perversion, perverse evil. On the side of woman, it's more relational terms and faithfulness. And I want to say this, that right and wrong in the book of Proverbs are connected to relationships. They're not just right and wrong because they are. They are connected to relationships, and our relationships are where life is found. For God's people, this life that is harmonious with God and with others, for God's people in the Old Testament is represented in the land. And so when you get to Proverbs 20, 22, it says this. Thus, if you are wise, if you seek wisdom, the wisdom that is from the Lord's mouth, this wisdom that it can save you, if you are if you have attained this wisdom, you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land where relationships with God and with neighbor and with creation are meant to be good and life-producing. And the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Wisdom will save you. For wisdom will allow you to dwell in harmony with God and with others and with creation. Wisdom saves you from death and leads to life, and not just life, but in the book of Proverbs, good life. That's the book of Proverbs. Life for you, Life not just for you, but life for your neighbor, life for your community, and life for the world. Now, if this sounds familiar, good. If you hear the words wisdom, seek wisdom, God gives wisdom, and wisdom will save you, and this sounds like something Christians inherently know good because this. Jesus, for us, is the wisdom of God. He is the word from God's mouth that creates the world. He is the wisdom of God that embodies creation. He is the knowledge of God that enlightens. He is the righteousness, the justice. He is the fairness of God. He is the wisdom that we desire. Jesus is the wisdom of God that saves. Let's stand and sing together.